This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia Dean. Today is Monday, December 20th. Today, we're featuring a story from KCUR's podcast, Real Humans, hosted by Gina Kaufman. Gina takes a look at how supply chain issues have impacted vinyl records in Kansas City and around the world. Frog Pond, Kansas City's legendary four-woman rock band fronted by Heidi Phillips, took the stage last weekend for the first time since the year 2000. The Saturday night show at the Record Bar doubled as a record release party for their new album, Time Thief. The gig sold out practically the moment it was announced. People had been hoping to see the band on stage again for a really long time, and they weren't about to miss it if they could help it. Drummer Michelle Bacon joined Frog Pond right before the pandemic. She was in high school during the band's original heyday, back in the 90s. They were one of the only local bands I remember being played on the radio. One really big thing about them at the time is that they were an all-female band, and we were out there, but we weren't necessarily in the spotlights. They were just like, we're four girls that rock. For Michelle, being part of the band for the big return at the record bar was a crazy revelation. We all got up on stage just to check our instruments and people started screaming. Almost every song people were singing along and I've never had that experience before. It's just this big wall of sound. Time Thief, the band's first album since 1999, had been out for a few weeks on Spotify, and it did not disappoint, rocking full throttle in an unmistakably 90s way. The music is great, the show was great. Just one obvious thing was missing from this otherwise perfect record release party. The record, as in, the vinyl record. Frog Pond recorded Time Thief this past April, expecting to have a vinyl record in hand by early November. And then supply chain issues pushed the ETA for the vinyl back to December. It's since been pushed back even further due to an audio glitch on the test pressing. So now the band just really isn't sure when their finished records will arrive. But Frog Pond is not the only band experiencing these delays right now. Michelle knows a lot of Kansas City musicians just sitting on material, not scheduling shows or anything, because they don't know when they'll have the vinyl. We kind of expected this might happen. I know that the supply chain seems to be low across the board. Nonetheless, Frog Pond kept that November show date. They'd already sold tickets, and besides... We just wanted to play a show. Michelle worked the merch table afterwards, taking pre-orders for records from fans. A few people did come up and they were like, so what's up with the vinyl? And and that's kind of what I said, like, oh, it's a supply chain issue. And most people were just like, OK, which is good because I wouldn't have been able to explain it much further than that. You've probably heard about supply chain issues because they seem to be affecting everything right now. The cost of gas and groceries, delivery timetables for online gift orders, even what kids can expect to be served for school lunch. But those three very official-sounding words, supply chain issues, actually constitute a pretty vague explanation for a wide range of complicated and difficult-to-understand problems stacked on top of each other. Supply chains are made of people. 
people doing jobs. So I decided to dig into the case of the missing Frog Pond album to find out what went wrong and where by talking to a few of those people. Part 1. A Vinyl Resurgence Frog Pond's earlier albums, which came out in the mid to late 90s, weren't released on vinyl. That was the heyday of CDs, after all. But in 2021, putting out vinyl records is something bands of all sizes want and expect to do. The vinyl was really important to everyone. I was like, this is going to be a big deal. It's going to be something special for our fans. This renewed interest in vinyl is not new. You know, this had been a trend line that had been going up for the last 15 years anyway. That's Sean Saving. He runs the Black Sight Recording Label Cooperative that's been handling the release of Time Thief. And he still says, during the pandemic, vinyl blew up. According to the Record Industry Association of America, vinyl sales surpassed CD sales for the first time in 34 years last year. Music industry folk attribute that to the pandemic. People stuck at home who had money to spend bought record players and records. Great news for the music industry in theory, except that the means of production have remained stagnant, which is to say there are not many places to get a vinyl record made. There's a few different things that have happened in the record industry in the last couple of years that are contributing to this. It's not just COVID. It's not just the supply chain. It's not just all this excess demand for records. But all those together have created a mess. To understand how we got into this mess, it helps to know how a record, as in the physical object, gets created. It's a clunky, multi-step process. That's what makes it analog. You start with a lacquer disc, a round piece of metal coated with a smooth layer of lacquer acetate. An engineer etches grooves onto that lacquer disc, forming the song Cuts. So when you hear people talking about cutting a record, that's what they mean. Next comes plating a process that ultimately results in two objects called stampers. Each stamper is the inverse of one side of the original record, and together the stampers form kind of a mold that will shape all the record copies that one day go out into the world. Those copies are made through a process called pressing, which takes place on a big expensive machine called a vinyl press. Yeah, there's a little thing called a puck, which is the, the sort of the molten uh, vinyl, and it gets set down to the middle, and then the stampers press it together, squeeze it out, make a record. Voila. That's how it works. There's heavy-duty machinery required for each of those steps. When CDs came along, most people thought records were a thing of the past because CDs were so much easier to make, and a lot of that equipment got scrapped or fell into disrepair. As of 2019, there were only two places where you could make a new lacquer for cutting records. Right before the pandemic, one of those plants burned to the ground. You can't even start making a record without those lacquers, so that's part of what's going on across the board. With the Frog Pond album, some additional problems occurred at the plating stage. And so what happened with Frog Pond, for example, is we had to reject the first test pressings because they had... When I'm listening to them, I'm hearing things that didn't sound good, and they determined that was issues with the plating was bad on one side. They listened to them and said, nah, we got to do this again. Sorry. I, they just told me today that they should be cut this week. So we're looking at like six-week turnaround just to remake Stanford's. Mistakes happen. Sean tells me that's totally normal, especially when you're talking about a complicated analog process. But he says they're happening more lately, industry-wide. And to find out why, 
he thought I should talk to the guy who does his cutting. He's one of the oldest guys left still doing cutting. My name is Chris Muth. That sounds like youth starts it, but it has an M in front of it. And um, I'm a recording engineer in New York City for almost 40 years now. And that brings us to part three, the people behind the vinyl. Chris Muth doesn't just cut records. He actually owns a record-cutting lathe. And there aren't too many of those left in circulation. He's also one of just a few people who knows how to fix them when they give out. And these days, the way we're working those machines, they need a lot of TLC. Chris says that accounts for most of his work right now. But if the machinery is so old and so scarce and needing so much repair, why don't we set up more machinery? I asked Chris that question. It's just, it's very hard. The equipment is is either home built or hard to get. It's incredibly expensive. It's hard to set up. Most people, nobody knows how to set it up. All the old guys are gone, right? So that everybody who's setting up stuff like this, other than a couple of old farts like me, they're having a hard time. Yeah, um, they're having to learn while they do it. So it's not like just, just set it up. And losing fingers and stuff like that. Really? There's been, oh, yeah. So, yes, machines in circulation are overtaxed, but Chris says the machines will be okay. It's people he's worried about. People have to operate them, and that's, that's always the big bottleneck. Some of the pressing plants have talked about going to three shifts and things like that, and the problem is, is that if, if someone's going to lose their body parts, that always happens on the 12 to 8 shift. It's hard to be alert at four o'clock in the morning, and it's, it is big and dangerous machinery. Listening to these guys, I start realizing that this process just kind of is what it is. It's clunky, it's time-consuming, and we want to speed it up. But back in olden times, before tapes and CDs and digital downloads, a record was precious for a reason. It's a beautiful, fragile, hard-to-make object. That was true back then, and it's still true now. Which brings us back to demand. Right now, if you ask about the vinyl shortage, you'll hear a lot of frustration with Adele for clogging up the works. What that's about is, when the megastar released her recent album, 30, she decided to make a half million vinyl records. To do that, she commandeered most of the vinyl press capacity in the world. That pushed back production for a long line of artists waiting their turn. Adele basically cut in line in a huge traffic jam. How could she do that? Well... As we found out, any mistake in this analog process can take production back several steps. In the case of Time Thief, an audible glitch on a test pressing sent the whole thing back to plating. Mistakes in early stages of production cost the same amount of money to fix whether you're planning to print 500,000 records, like Adele, or 300, like Frog Pond. With runs of 300 banking on smaller margins of profit, errors add up fast, wiping out whatever profitability there might have been for the plant. So the itty-bitty release by a Kansas City band loses priority. It's not personal. Some plants don't even take on runs of less than 500 for this exact reason. And that's why vinyl plants have always been dominated by big acts with huge releases. Chris Muth says the same thing happened with Michael Jackson in the 80s. It's just that when it comes to acquiring music, we, meaning a generation raised on digital downloads, aren't used to it. Everybody is spoiled these days, uh, being able to just put something together on their laptop and hit the post button and bang, it's out in the world. 
especially with youngsters that haven't been through the way how it was before, they don't really have any idea uh, what the process is to, to make physical copy. That process generally does take almost half a year, um, which drives bands crazy. And that brings us back to Frog Pond. They have a Time Thief Spotify, a Time Thief CD, a music video of one of the tracks, original album art, and all the covers and dust jackets for the vinyl. The vinyl that isn't here yet. But to Michelle Bacon, the end product will be worth the wait. When you sit down and listen to a record, it's kind of a special moment to me. You know, it's like, it's not just like popping something into my CD player. As Michelle describes it, playing a record is an event. Carefully unveiling the vinyl from its jacket, placing it on the turntable, hearing that lush, textured sound emerge from the speakers. To me, I think that's one of the most rewarding things. And I think like all of these supply chain issues, it's going to feel like even more of an accomplishment when we actually get it, because right now, you know, we've been talking about it for so long, and it's just this intangible thing. Like, yeah, we're going to have a record. We've seen pictures of it because we've made like these mock-ups, but is it really ever going to be here? You know, so so I think that that will feel even more rewarding just for the fact that we've been waiting so long for it. And so the rest of us wait, too. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia-Dean. This podcast was produced by Byron Love and Mackenzie Martin and edited by Lisa Rodriguez and Gabe Rosenberg. Much of the music you heard in this episode comes from Frog Pond's new album, Time Thief. If you want to hear from more real humans around Kansas City, check out Real Humans with Gina Kaufman, another podcast from KCUR's studios. And as always, you can find more local news stories, plus a live stream of Kansas City's NPR station at kcur.org. Tomorrow, we'll hear how a ban on most abortions in Texas is impacting abortion clinics in Kansas. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you soon. At UMB Private Wealth Management, a part of UMB Bank, your story is our focus. UMB works closely with you to tailor a plan that meets your goals through every stage of life and changing economic climates. UMB's customized financial planning services and resources help you accumulate, preserve, and protect wealth, giving you peace of mind about your future. UMB, everything we do starts with you, from our high-touch service to our robust suite of wealth management products.